You're listening to Popaganda, the feminism and pop culture podcast. Today, we're talking about our favorite nerds. A few weeks ago, I posted a photo of some new comic books on our Instagram and our Facebook and asked Bitches followers what their favorite comics are right now. Many people kept saying the same title, Bitch Planet. Bitch Planet is a comic series set in a near future. People who are convicted of antisocial behavior are stamped with the label non-compliant, and the government ships them through outer space to a prison planet. The story revolves around the women who are incarcerated on this planet, exploring their backstories and their struggles for dignity in the face of corrupt authoritarian power. It comments on current realities of prison and patriarchy, all with a vibe and feel that riffs on 1970s prison exploitation films. That series, Bitch Planet, is written by Kelly Sue DeConnick. She is also the brains behind several other beloved series, including a surreal western called Pretty Deadly. That series feels like a classic western that's colored by mythology and magic. Pretty Deadly centers on the daughter of death and is woven of storylines that deal with violent duels and stunning moments of compassion. Kelly Sue DeConnick was nominated for an Eisner Award for her work writing the series. That's a huge deal in the comics industry. And this month, the sixth issue of Pretty Deadly hits newsstands. Kelly Sue, thanks for joining us on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. I think you are a lot of people's favorite nerd, or at least one of their favorite nerds. <laughs> something, that, something that is constantly... Um, surprising and amazing to me is how many people have tattoos of your work. Yeah. It's no less surprising or amazing when you're me. <laughs> There's this whole phenomena of people getting tattoos of a little logo from Bitch Planet, an NC that stands for non-compliant, tattooed somewhere on their body. Does that? How does that feel to see that? Humbling. Incredibly humbling. Um, I really try to keep my ego in check by remembering that that isn't about me. You know, like that, that particular thing isn't even really about my work. It's, um, uh, we are, we are a, I mean, I'm look, I'm super happy that people have used the book as a, an entree to having this sort of dialogue with themselves. Um, but it's it is not it's not about the book. Um, my, my friend uh, uh, Dan Curtis Johnson said, you don't get that tattoo because you're a fan of the book. You get that tattoo because the book is a fan of something in you. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So so it's sort of a symbol of saying, hey, I'm an I'm non-compliant in, in society. I don't fit into society. Yeah. I mean, it's it's. I don't fit in my issue in the box that was issued me, um, you know, and, and like I'm 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 too fat. I'm too black. I'm too brown. I'm too uh, shy. I'm too outgoing. I'm too sexual. I'm too religious. I'm too, you know, any of these things that that women in particular, um, although it's it's not exclusive to women, certainly, but women in particular are asked to, you know, conform to these very narrow standards. Like, you know, please be one of these six types. Um, and when you are outside of that in any way, then, uh, then, you know, you're asked to pay a price for that. Um, and that, and I think what that symbol says is, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't fit in my box and that's okay. Like I'm, I'm, 
I am fine with who I am. Yeah, it's it's interesting. This series, so the first volume of Bitch Planet comics just came out this fall, the first collection of Bitch Planet that you can go and buy at the store. Um, and I think it's interesting how the series has evolved, where it's focused on the stories of women who are incarcerated on a, on a prison planet, and basically none of them are people you typically see in mainstream comics. A lot of them are are queer and just have all different body sizes and just have really interesting character design that's nothing like the norm like the muscular strapping kind of bland people you often see in superhero comics um when you were setting out to write this story about uh women in prison is is it surprising to you that so many people identify with that or does that make sense to you because it, you're writing about people who are marginalized and all kinds of people can identify with that. It was, I mean, it was definitely intentional, but I, I think that the thing that is this the, sort of the, the underlying truth of the book is, uh, you know, you know, this is this absurd world where you get, you know, sent to a prison planet for being, you know, for not fitting in your box, but n no one is compliant. No one fits in their box. Th this, this ideal woman uh, is a myth. So that's why when you do see the compliant woman, the compliant woman is a hologram. She always, she's always drawn in pink lines. And she's sort of, she's sort of a, she acts as like a prison guard enforcer um, in the, in the prison. She's uh, sort of o overseeing what's happening as the compliant woman. Yeah. She's a, she's a hologram that, um, but you also see her on the world. You also see her like on earth. She's, um, She's most of the women that you see on television. And it's interesting with the series because it has such a it has really strong stories and a really strong plot moving through it as these women sort of try to maintain some dignity in the face of uh, authoritarian power structures. Um, but there's also an educational component to it. On the back page of um, some of the issues, there's you had a discussion of like, what is intersectional feminism? And... I was struck by that and I was wondering how much you see this series as sort of trying to introduce people to um, ideas and feminist sort of theories and perspectives and frameworks and how much you want people just to be sucked in by the plot. I mean, I think it's 50-50. I think the, um, the plot and the story make up the bulk of our pages, but I think if you ask the people who buy the book why they buy the book, it's as much for the back matter as it is for the story pages. But what we did want to do is we wanted to, to have the feeling of uh, a zine. We wanted it to, to be like, we, we refer to the back pages as community pages, right? And we want it to be a place where people can come together and kind of share not just their frustrations, but like their successes and, and, um, and find each other and find community and also find the solace that comes from knowing that you're not the only person who feels these things. Yeah. So this, I mean, this first collection collects the first five issues of Bitch Planet. And um, what's, I mean, what's striking about it, as you said, is that it's such an overtly feminist comic that's really focused on the stories of all female characters. And the comics industry has not had a a great history of including women, especially not including uh, characters who are women of color. I'm wondering, was this a hard sell for this storyline? Like, did you come up against resistance from uh, 
comics edit, like executives or um, collectors or well, fans? That's the beauty of working at Image Comics. I mean, I didn't, I never had that conversation. Never. Um, my pitch to Eric Stevenson on Bitch Planet was um, it, it, it's something along the lines of Valentine Delandro and I are playing with this idea of a women in prison exploitation riff with a, a gladiatorial kind of sport. And, you know, we're tentatively calling it Bitch Planet, but that's just a working title. We could change that. Uh and that was uh, that I think was the entirety of it. And I expected, like, you know, write me up a one pager on it or, you know, talk to me when you've got it. Like, I don't know what I was expecting, but like, I was expecting him to come back and say, hmm, tell me more, you know. But instead he came back and said, I would very much like to publish something called Bitch Planet. And that was it. That seems so exciting and also rare to have that level of trust from a publisher. You know, I think that that is, you know, I, we had a, a proven success with Pretty Deadly, and I think that's, but that's one of the beautiful things of when you're in with Image is, you know, they don't police you. They don't look over your shoulder. They see the book when you upload it. Um, and in fact, I called at one point, I called and, and spoke to Eric because I was concerned about some of the nudity in Pretty Deadly. We have, you know, female nudity is nothing uncommon in, in comics, but uh, male nudity is still kind of a thing. And some people won't carry the book. And, you know, I just wanted to sort of make sure I didn't catch them off guard uh, and get myself in trouble. And so I called and said, you know, hey, you know, I don't know if you want to see this art ahead of time or what, but we have uh, some frontal male nudity in the second issue of Pretty Deadly and um, I just don't want you to run into any distribution problems. And so you called him up and said, there's a bunch of dicks in my book. <laughs> Is that okay? <laughs> That's exactly it. Just one dick. It's just one dick. But it, it does appear from a couple of angles, I think. Um, and yeah, and, and Stevenson's response was, uh, yeah, I published Howard Chaikin. You're not going to shock me. <laughs> well, all right. Off we go then. So one part to me is like, oh, really? Is that a dare? But no. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, they've been amazing. And there's never. And in fact, the woman who does is a woman named Trisha who works at Image, who does our kind of like back end stuff, like handling all the technical aspects of once we upload the book, she makes sure that, you know, it becomes a book. Um, she is a huge fan of the book and like always gets really excited for, for it to be uploaded and is really invested in the story. And like they're incredibly, incredibly supportive. One thing I love about the story of um, Bitch Planet is, is sort of there's, is the who it centers on. When I don't think I'm giving anything away to say that the first issue um, feels like this, the whole narrative is going to be centered on this one uh, middle class white woman who's sort of been, uh, who's innocent, sort of, but is incarcerated in prison um, on this prison planet. And then the narrative shifts and it turns out the story's not actually about her. And that was such a shock to me because usually as 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 a viewer, um, when even when there's stories that include lots of people of color or lots of queer people or um, people who aren't often seen in our pop culture, the narrative still centers on that white 
straight, middle class, I'm innocent, I don't belong here kind of voice. Um, so it was cool to see that, that narrative shift. Yeah. I, I, I get why that's done, but I don't like it. I, don't, I think that like the message that's inherent is that in that is that, um, the culture that, you know, that this, that this white woman is the, you know, or white man, depending on the story is the, um, is our Trojan horse into is, uh, somehow other, you know, that it's, I don't know, less American or less, you know, depending on the context of of what we're talking about, that it's, that it's, that it's somehow not us, you know, and nope, these are all, these are our stories. You can identify with anyone in this book. (laughs) Like they're all human beings. You can find something in them that you relate to and it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be so difficult to see that, you know? Yeah. I mean, the, the other thing I, I just love about the series is the way that it, it really comments on current realities. There's so many things in the, in the book that feel like, oh, that's happening right now. I could see that there's, um, you know, like sort of constant, upbeat, perky attitude to, from media about uh, how you should look and how you should be and a lot of shaming around your body. And um, people have... TV screens in their homes at all times that are telling them how to do and how to be. Um, how often do you see stuff in real life and say, "Ooh, I've got to put that into Bitch Planet"? Or is there anything from the from the real world that, that you dropped in? When I was trying to figure out how we would teach the rules of the game, uh, the sport, uh, Mila or Megaton, how we would teach it to the prisoners. Which, uh, which is a sport that they have to that they play. It's sort of like an Olympic gladiatorial Hunger Games horrible style sport that the women who are incarcerated wind up taking part in, in during the series. Yeah, um, you know, and it's it's loosely it's loosely based on an on an old Italian sport actually, but the structure of it and some of the the things about it that I find problematic um, come from you know, American football, the NFL. Um, but so I was, uh, I was trying to figure out what, well, you know, what narrative device would we use to, to teach this both, teach the rules both to the, um, uh, to the reader and to the women themselves. And, and we came up with, we're going to do it in a twofold way. One was, we, you know, we have this infographic, this two page spread that kind of lays out the, uh, the, the field and, you know, where the, the judges sit and how to score. So that would be an easy thing to refer to. But then we also did a video. So there's a, there's a video that's playing on a big screen that the women are watching that's kind of explaining to them how the, the sport is played. And I did a YouTube search. Just looking for like a, a football 101 kind of thing. And I found a video that is almost word for word Haley and, and Kaylee, uh, who are the two hologram characters, this sort of bouncing, you know, ho- hooters, wait- waitress dressed girls who are ostensibly ex- explaining to other women why they should watch this sport, making the assumption that, uh, of course, you couldn't possibly just genuinely be interested. You must be doing it to impress a man. And that was a, an actual video that I found, which was both heartbreaking to me. Like the, the woman who made this video, I wanted to like make her spaghetti and explain like, 
it is okay for you to just like what you like, you know? And at the same time, I also was just livid with her at this, this, it's the way that she was framing this was that, that, um, you know, if you know enough about this sport to make it look like you're actually interested, men are going to find you irresistible. Yeah, that's that's the video in the in the comic. The women who are incarcerated are forced to watch this video about uh, basically like here, here's the rules of the sport so you can understand it, so you can connect with your boyfriend or with guys more. Um, you would never play this sport. You wouldn't be interested in it for yourself. But here's the rules so that your boyfriend can understand it. And that's the way that we come to understand what this game is that they play. Help him understand if he's having trouble or, you know, like you can fool a dude into thinking that you're actually into this thing that they're all clearly into because, you know, we also make assumptions for men. That almost sounds like the fake geek girls meme, you know? <laughs> and it was so heartbreaking. It was so like... I, I've, I've been so tempted a couple of times to link to the video. It's not that hard to find, but I don't I don't want to mock this woman because I feel like she is a victim of what she has been told to value. Uh, and I and I don't want to come down on her at the same time. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> girl, girl, what's up? You know, um, well, let's talk about your other series, uh, Pretty Deadly, which the sixth issue just came out this month. I believe today is maybe the release date for it. Um, that's exciting. <laughs> yeah, it was. It came out yesterday. Actually. Yesterday. Um, well, congratulations on the sixth issue of that series, and uh, that has a totally different feel from Bitch Planet. While Bitch Planet is more riff on 1970s prison exploitation, women in prison films, Pretty Deadly is uh, sort of, in my mind, a remix of classic westerns with a kind of uh, mythological, magical, surreal bent to it. Can you tell me about wanting to write a Western and and why you chose this to be a Western and how you feel about uh, the series now that it's on its sixth issue? Boy, I love this book, but um, uh, but it's a, it's it's I love it the way you sort of love a difficult child. You know, this book fights back. Um, it's a really hard book to write. Um, it's a challenging book to read, although I love that part of it. Um, um, we originally wanted to do a very straightforward Sergio Leone kind of Western, and then it, it never quite felt right. It never really gelled. Um, you know, like way back in the way back when it was just notes, um, this was the story of uh, Jenny, a sharpshooter in a Wild West show, and, and you know, Sissy was the, the Josie Wales dog that I gave her to spit on just to give her somebody to talk to, you know? Um, but we, we really kind of wanted to, to see if we could do a woman, man with no name, you know, Mm, kind kind of a a Clint Eastwood character. Who's, you know, a a bit of a vigilante. Uh, Yeah. And a, and a, and a, a cipher, a, um, and not so much a protagonist as a sort of force of nature around whom the rest of the world has to bend, you know, um, like a, a High Plains Drifter or um, a Pale Rider, like that kind of that man with no name, you know. And so that was the that was the place we started. And then it, but it it just never felt right. And it didn't start to feel right until we kind of let the monsters in until like the the, it was the literal the, monsters, not yes, like <laughs> yes. And when when we found that, then everything else 
well, fell into place overstates it. But um, then everything started to feel right. And interestingly, I um, I was a little sad about that because I felt like we had gotten away from our original intentions, even though I loved the book. I was like, yeah, you know, but we'd wanted to do this this Leone thing. And then Charlie Houston found this quote for me. Um, and a, an amazing, lovely fan has uh, did a, a, a needlework piece that I, I have right next to my desk now. Um it's got this landscape with this giant moon and it says the myth is everything, Sergio, Sergio Leone. And the the larger quote says is something like nothing matters but the myth, the myth is everything. And so in the end, we felt like we had actually done Leone. We had circled around to it, but we come at it from a direction that we hadn't expected. So telling a Western with a mythological framework to it. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, I think when you when you think about the man with no name, that's very much the case. I just had never put my finger on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a real mythos around that person. and They can just be sort of a, a hero form. Or yeah, I mean, he, he's, he feels like he wrote in from nowhere. Like he's there. He's he's there for justice, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned that this is also this is a hard series to write and it's a hard series to read a little bit. It's challenging in part because the series is really uh, inventive and doesn't follow a lot of the typical comic book story arc systems, <laughs> I guess is the best way to say it. A lot of times if you just jump into reading the first issue, you can feel overwhelmed or like, what's going on? I don't know what's happening here. Not the hero's journey. Right. It's not like you cannot map this. Right. And then by the end of um, maybe the first issue or a few along, it just starts to grow on you. If you just, if you just roll with the world, you'll eventually pick up what's going on and sort of fall into it. But it's kind of like, yeah, all the pieces are on the table by the third issue. And in the first arc, they've all come together by the last page of the fifth issue. Um, but you know what we, we always say that it, it rewards a reread. Yeah. And I think it's, it's kind of, it feels like coming into a story in the middle or stepping into a different world where you don't understand the rules exactly or exactly what's going on. You just have to kind of go with the flow for a while. Yeah. It's very immersive. Mm-hmm. And how, why, why is that why you decided to, to write the story? Why be more, um, avant-garde with your approach to the narrative when you're also pushing boundaries and forms of art and character representation why also tweak with the narrative in that way you know it was a tantrum quite frankly um you know emma and i had both come out of years of doing uh traditional comics work or corporate comics and and they're great and we love them and we learned a lot there and and but, you know, there is a very narrow structure with which you can work and in there are expectations um, and clarity trumps all. And, you know, you are asked to explain everything as you go, what the reader to is co- what the reader is coming to those books for is not an experiment, you know, and that's fine. Please don't hear that as a judgment. Um, but after a couple of years of that, we were like, fuck it. You know, we're, we're going to, we're going to do this the way we want to do it. This is our book. We're in charge. We may not get this chance again. When you say Emma, that's, that's Emma Rios. She's the artist on the series and yeah. And my mm-hmm. co-creator. So mm-hmm. that's, a, that's the thing. Sometimes people don't understand about mm-hmm. comics is, um, 
so I write the script and Emma draws the pictures in the in you know in in the simplest sense. But we co this this story is a product of the two of us. It is very much the two of us. <laughs> 